Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Med Mastery for sponsoring this episode. Would you like to learn the highest yield 20% of clinical skills so you can solve over 90% of patient problems? You need to check out MedMastery. They offer over 90 courses and workshops on important clinical skills like EKG, ultrasound, and diabetes management. You can also get specific with offerings like reviewing bladder injury on CT scans. And just released in their Presentation Essentials for Clinicians series, how to use stories and case studies in your next presentation particularly relevant for what we're talking about in this episode of Explore the Space podcast. All of MedMastery's award-winning courses are CME accredited, and they are highly recommended by the British Medical Association, so make sure to check them out. Explore the Space listeners can get an exclusive 15% discount on a lifetime subscription. Go to www.medmastery.com forward slash explore the space today. That's www.medmastery.com forward slash explore the space. Thank you also to the Women in Medicine Summit for sponsoring this episode. The Women in Medicine Summit is a transformative CME conference experience unlike any other. It's an event for women in medicine, allies, and truly anyone in the healthcare space. Attend this year's summit in Chicago, September 16th and 17th, to learn leadership skills for professional advancement and career development from incredible faculty, and attend special events like an evening of storytelling led by the Nocturnists, as well as a special hashtag MedGrind Coffee Meetup, I will be there. I'm really looking forward to attending the Women in Medicine Summit and, of course, the MedGrind Coffee Meetup. I'm also proud that Explore the Space podcast is an official sponsor of the Women in Medicine Summit for the third year in a row. Check out www.womeninmedicinesummit.org to register for either in-person or virtual attendance, and all registrants get access to the course content for a full year. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space podcast is Dr. Alok Patel. Dr. Patel is a pediatric hospitalist. He's a medical correspondent for ABC News and the host of multiple cable TV shows. That just sounds so cool to say. He joins Explore the Space podcast to discuss processes for getting comfortable with public speaking and how we can demystify public speaking, which there's so much interest in this. I'm asked about this frequently. The interest around this is at a, at a fever pitch and being able to talk about these things around getting comfortable with public speaking, demystifying the idea of public speaking, how to get started with it, how speaking with patients actually helps us build the fundamental skills needed for public communication, and the value of improvisational comedy training, yes, and for the win. Absolute blast to speak with Dr. Patel on this episode, and you are going to love hearing from him. Definitely check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can also check out the merchandise store there, and you can subscribe to and rate explore the space podcast wherever you like to download your shows that really helps us out and please do share the show with your friends and your colleagues you can email me anytime mark at explore the space show.com and you can hit me on twitter at ets show instagram at explore the space show it's pretty apparent that i'm a big fan of public speaking i enjoy doing it but i also really like talking about it i like helping people understand and tap into their potential as public speakers move through barriers move through friction Get comfortable with the idea and go forward. This is a great place to do it because Dr. Patel is truly an expert and he is really good at it. This was a wonderful conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So without further ado, 
Dr. Alok Patel. Alok, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. I'm delighted you're here. Mark, I'm the one who's delighted I'm here. I feel like it's like a badge of honor to be invited to be on this show. That's awesome. How many media hits have you done today? So today I've only done one. <laughs> Yesterday was two. It's early. It's early, buddy. It's early. You know, and when you're when you're on the West Coast and you're working on that East Coast clock and the East Coast says, can you be on at 7 a.m.? Guess what? You're waking up at 3 a.m. If yeah, you want this life. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And it's good that we have that level of transparency. If you want this life, there are going to be weird hours. There's going to be some phone calls. There's going to be some schedule changes. And that's just part of it. That's just part of it. You and I have been working on getting this scheduled for the better part of three months. And I listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that a lot of it's my fault. The hospital has been busy. <laughs> Media has been busy. But the most humbling thing, and you've, you've seen me rant about this, is having a toddler. Our little, our little tornado of a toddler has been like an anvil on our schedules. It will take all of the wind, not out of your sails, but it will turn the boat in different directions. You will be going full speed. You will just not anticipate the way the winds will make you turn. <laughs> it's I, I might have completely color. destroyed that analogy, but I did the best I could. I think people get it, and you just make it work like <laughs> everything in life. I had a, a live news hit at 9 a.m. East Coast time. It was 6 a.m. here. My wife was gone already to a meeting, and I took my daughter downstairs in our building to a playroom, and a friend watched her for 15 minutes. And I ran upstairs, did the interview, and ran back down and was like, sorry for abandoning my child. This is, this is, this is how we get these things done. Let's, I, I always like to start these episodes. I'm excited about this. I've been really looking forward to having you on, and I do want to just shout out our, our mutual friend, Dr. Jesse Allen, who put us in touch. Legend. I've been looking forward to having you on because you really have created a, a space in the media sphere where you speak to large audiences, you speak on lots of different topics, you go on lots of different platforms, you have a social media presence. There are There's a cohort of healthcare professionals who over the course of the last maybe five or 10 years or less have be able, been able to create these spaces and to do it for the right reasons. But acknowledging that, I want to also say that those who hear about this have some amount of interest, curiosity, concern, fear is 100x the numbers of people who are actually doing it. And so having you here, I want to start really far upstream in the process of how we even begin to think about healthcare professionals and all of the training we do, all of the things that we do, all the work that we do and the responsibility that we carry to then enter the public media space, acknowledging its importance. You're here, I think, the best thing you and I can do for the next 30 minutes is to try to demystify that really high-level strategic part of just how does this even begin as opposed to, all right, ABC News called you at 3 o'clock this morning and you had to get camera ready and all that. That's for a later date. Let's start with how did this even begin for you? I, I love it. And you know, what's funny. I've been doing this for more or less eight years. And just the way you worded that question made me nervous. So I totally empathize with people out there who are like, oh my gosh, I'm about to go from the frying pan and into the fire. And yeah. for me, I had this awakening when I was a second year resident. I'm a, I'm a pediatric hospitalist now. So I'm in pediatric residency at Seattle Children's Hospital. This was around the time when things were really transitioning to social media in terms of people getting their education and their information. This was 2014. It's not that long ago, but still like Instagram hadn't blown up to what it is now. There was no TikTok. 
Twitter was not the storm it is now. And I started to realize that my patients were getting their information, getting their advice from whatever source related to that. It wasn't data. It wasn't necessarily what we consider to be evidence-based. It was, hey, my friend said this. This comedian said this. I saw Jenny McCarthy say you know, this statement about vaccines. And that related to me. And what I, I, instead of alienating the source, what I started to reflect on, what it meant to relate to our patients. It was someone speaking to them as an individual. It wasn't someone talking data to them. And at the time, the people who I thought did this better than anyone were comedians. Comedians know how to take the scariest, most salacious, controversial topic and distill it down to a bar conversation. And so, you know, I ever heard Tig Notaro talking about her breast cancer diagnosis. I have. It is one of the most extraordinary moments. I mean, you know, my wife is a breast cancer survivor. She found it a few years later and she shared it with me and we listened to it and we laughed and cried together. She took the stage the day she was diagnosed and she did this off the cuff. I don't know what the right word is monologue, I suppose, uh, uh, you know, bit and it crushed. It absolutely crushed. But when you said that, that was the first thing that popped into my head. It's one of the most resonant stand up comedy things I've ever heard. It was it was brilliant in every sense. And, and what Tig does, what it did is she was honest, she was raw, and she put her ego aside. Something that, and now that's a trifecta that's very difficult for a trained physician who went through this ivory tower and said, this is the way things are right? done. Things are, I always have right? to be X, you know? And so at the time, I was actually inspired by people who worked in the TV industry to go do an internship at ABC News, which to any residents or trainees out there, I could not recommend this internship enough. DM me and I will tell you all the details if you need it. Or just Google <laughs> ABC News Medical Internship. Went out there. I will skip the hour-long conversation I could have about it, but I learned the ins and outs of medical journalism, broadcast journalism, translating a study from the lab to the front plate of Good Morning America. And on my last day, I had I was pulled into Diane Sawyer's office, the legend, and I was nervous. I thought I was in trouble. And instead, she wanted to give me life advice because she was like, you have a very different way of explaining science information. And it does not remind me of a doctor. It reminds me of a comedian. And I was so honored. And she gave me this wow. piece of advice, which I'll leave for everyone. She said, when I'm two pieces of advice, she said, when I'm anchoring world news tonight, and I'm talking to millions of Americans, there's two things I do. The first thing is that I assume that I'm in the living room with that individual. And I'm having that one-to-one conversation and we're just keeping it casual. And the second thing is she says, I don't teach people zero things. I don't teach them two things. I teach them one thing. And that is also something that resonated with me because we often as scientists and physicians try to just jam pack a 30 minute, you know, scientific lecture into every conversation. Diane Sawyer never once in her life said, I know this is a busy slide, but. No, yeah, no, no. she never said, I just, you know, here's <laughs> 17 data points right. on here. I'm going to talk to you about my research and answer right. questions that no right. one asked me. That's right. The, the, the skill set obviously is a different one and there's opportunities for our profession, I think, to create curricula, right? We, we would love to be in a place where interested medical students and residents and, and people in practice didn't have to go to an ABC News internship, right? Maybe their home institutions could provide. But I want to start with something else. And this is something that I will fully acknowledge as I have been one of the people espousing, like being out there and speaking with the public and doing all this media training. For me, public speaking was never an issue. It's never bothered me. I've never had a fear of taking the stage. I'm an extrovert. 
I like it. I like being in front of a crowd. I like public speaking. I enjoy the preparation. I am the exception to the rule. And I have to remind myself about that a lot. When I say with great Shapiro enthusiasm, we should all learn how to go and talk on the media and take the stage and do TED Talks, that there's a bias there where I'm assuming that everyone is as comfortable as I am. They're not. And that is okay. But for you, break down the levers that you've pulled. And more importantly, because I know you've done a lot of coaching and mentoring around this, for those who said, Alok, I want to learn this stuff. I, I get anxious speaking in front of a crowd. I get nervous when the red light goes on. The levers that can be pulled and the, the things that people can practice to at least start to move aside the friction point and the barrier of anxiety around public speaking. I think it's, there's multiple parts here, and I love this topic. I think the first philosophical thing that people need to wrap their head around is why you were selected to speak. And that should help yes. people get over imposter yeah. syndrome. You know, we are trained to think like we constantly have to improve and I got to publish and I have to learn this or I'm not going to be good enough. The outside world does not think that. You know, as a medical professional, as a scientist, I, this is not an exaggeration to, know, to say that you might know more about your field than 99% of people in the world. You know a lot. That's why this specific audience says, hey, Dr. Shapiro, come and talk to us about being a physician host on podcasting. Like, you know more about that than 99% of people. So imposter syndrome, kick it out of the window. Like, you're wanted there. People want you to succeed. People want to pay attention to you. People want to laugh. People want to relate. Then moving on from that, and I'm inspired by John Favreau, Obama's speechwriter, not to be confused with the comedian, actor, filmmaker. You know, he's given a lot of really important talks. And one thing that, and I, if John, if you're listening and I'm, and I'm misquoting you, I apologize. Please I correct apologize. me. <laughs> but he often talks about when you're putting together a speech or a talk, you think about why it is you talking to this audience in this moment. And if you can put those three things together, I find that anyone can have a, the utmost confidence in public speaking. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a lung transplant or carpentry or Mario Kart. Like if it's you so are, funny that you bring those things up. You and I didn't script this at all, but that is the preparation that works the best for me. And so when people ask me, how do I get through it? It's what you just said, but I distill it into one word, practice. The practice part, though, is so important because, first of all, when you're thinking about the getting, the, getting past the imposter syndrome, the, the act of writing it down, there's a commitment there. You're really, you know, you're not just saying it into the world. You're writing it. You're codifying it. You're writing down, I am being asked to give this talk because X. There's a sense of ownership there. And I think that that's a really effective thing. And it's also very low-hanging fruit. You need a pen, you need a piece of paper, and you can take that step. I think that, that you framing that as acknowledging the imposter syndrome and not just telling people that it doesn't exist. or these, This is a very real thing. Uh, and then we can get to the practice thing. But we talk about the sense of anxiety around public speaking and these sorts of things. And so I'm going to ask you, and then I'll give my answer. Do you still get nervous? And what makes you feel nervous when you think about public speaking? There are times I get nervous. And I see that as a very important indicator that I still care. Yeah. If someone has me now, what, obviously, I mean, if no, I get the same talk over and over again, I'm no longer nervous. I know what I'm doing. Right. It's like autopilot. It's like but autopilot. there are times when I sincerely want to connect with the audience. 
I want to impress somebody. There's something that needs to be done there. There's the opportunity for making a mistake is high. You know, little situations like that. I'm going to get a little nervous. That's totally fine. And I think it goes back down to, you mentioned it, practice identifying why you're doing what you're doing and then realize that I'm going to make this number up, but like 60% of what matters is your delivery and your energy. And then 40% is your content. It might even be 80-20. And I want everyone who gives grand rounds to remember that. And if you disagree, fight me. Because when you give grand rounds, no one is going to remember all the little tiny details. They're going to remember your energy and the take-home points. The body language coach likes this a great deal. (laughs) And this is part of the practicing. It's practicing in front of the mirror. It's practicing with the recorder. It's practicing in front of people. I still get nervous. I don't get nervous as much when I record an episode of Explore the Space with respect to the content. I get nervous about the technical aspects. As you and I got started, I shared with you that I, I'm going to press record now because I'm thinking of it. And in the past, I've forgotten. Like, that's happened. These sorts of the technical stuff makes me nervous. When it comes to taking the stage or when it comes to doing media stuff, I get nervous when I feel like I'm going to go too fast. If I feel like I'm pressed for time. I can be really agile and kinetic, uh, but like we said, right, that 90, getting down to 90 seconds, refining your message them as much as you can, I, I can tend towards being a little bit verbose, and so I have to be mindful of that, and I also can have a tendency to talk too fast. So those kind of hard skills, that's sometimes where I get a little bit nervous. And speaking of hard skills, the technical aspect, you've mentioned that a couple times. It's easy for you and I to say technical aspects. I think I know what you're talking about. But given that we want to, this to be as, as big of a pool and as inclusive a conversation as it can be, when you say technical aspects, be specific. What do you mean by the technical aspect of preparation, getting through anxiety, getting through this imposter syndrome, getting ready to actually deliver? I guess I mean the, the actual physical things you're going to do. We mentioned earlier kind of the philosophical mindset, which I think is paramount to getting writing and getting your speech, your talk going. The technical or physical things are going to be things like practicing. Like you mentioned that, making sure that your cadence sounds okay. I can comfortably talk at 160 to 180 words per minute if I had to. I can. People don't want to hear that. So those are little things that you're going to pay attention (laughs) to. That's fast. Yeah. And you know, when you're writing, you're going to look back on this and say, okay, do I have the most interesting attention grabbing topics up front? Am I being relatable? Have I identified my demographic? Have I identified the point of my talk? What do I want people to do with this information? And I think those are very important technical things that you can actually take a step back on, look at and say, okay, have I identified this? And one of the, here's a little technical trick that I like to do. And I I have learned this from comedians. That's the third time I've referenced that incredible group of artists is I will look back on my speech and there'll be moments that I'll put a little asterisk and then I'll add on an anecdote, a joke a detail or an example. And after I make the preceding comment, if my audience is vibing with it and the audience is, is paying attention to what I said, I will then follow up with that asterisk based on time. If the audience was kind of like, cool, I don't care anymore. I move on. And I have like four or five of those banks for every talk because there are those moments in a talk where you want to break. It's like, it's almost like an actor breaking the fourth wall. You want to break away from the professionalism, interact with your audience, say something funny, Talk about someone who's drinking a cup of coffee. If you're talking about the effects of caffeine on metabolism, something like that. And all of a sudden you've now connected. So I I like having a few of those in my arsenal. It's so interesting that you bring that up as well, because one of the things that I am currently working on and in that space of saying I get nervous because I sometimes will talk too fast is making use of like stand up comics do the strategic pause. Just stop. 
clutch. Just, just give it a minute. Just let some air move through the room and, and reevaluate. It's just a couple of beats. It's not like a, you know, two minutes, but just in that space of what's going on in the room, look around a little bit and let them get a sense of anticipation around what's coming next. That feels like really high end value added stuff. But I, I like to hear that from your perspective, it's actually a fundamental skill. People don't want perfection. They're not oh. watching. Oh, they're not Lex. watching oh my gosh. an Oscar nominated film where they're going to, where they're, you know, snip apart all the editing and cinematography. People want to see a human What's talking to them. And I think that's why. Do you think if I, that if that's I bring part of back, why people in our profession get nervous about doing this, though? Because they expect, they think that just like with anything else, any little mistake on rounds and the attending is going to snap their head off or any little misstep in the operating room and the surgeon's going to get frustrated that there's the sense that we have to be perfect when we get up on stage within our profession. Are we, are we hamstringing ourselves with that mindset or am I projecting? No, you're not projecting at all. I think you're 110% correct, which is why when I talk to residents and trainees about public speaking, getting involved in media, I parallel it to talking at the bedside. When we already have these skills, eye contact, customizing your message, building trust. I mean, you go into a room at 2 a.m. to give someone a terrible news about an MRI finding, for example. You are building trust and delivering information in under 90 seconds. And also, we all know this. Our patients like relatability. They like us to go in there and be human. And if we are going to show emotion, if we're going to get angry, if we're going to share frustration, share fear, our patients like that. They want to know that they're talking to someone who's potentially their friend, their confidant. And we can adapt that mentality to public speaking and doing TV interviews. And I think it's way more relatable than saying like, hey, pretend like you're giving you know, didactics right now and everyone's going to be judging you. That's not realistic. So what I'm hearing you say is, and correct me if I'm misinterpreting, I, my presupposition is incorrect insofar as our profession is not teaching us these skills. It is. We are learning these skills of relatability and appropriate communication and humanistic approaches to discussing hard things in our profession. We're doing it at the bedside, but perhaps we are, for whatever reason, not translating that to say, when we think about doing something involving the media, I don't have this skill set. When actually you do, and you're get of all the things you're doing, that might be where you're actually getting the most reps on the day-to-day -day basis. We talk about practicing. You're practicing this 15, 20 times a day. We have not connected the dots. You're totally right. If you think about when you roll into a patient, I want everyone listening right now to imagine a, uh, a air quote, difficult patient encounter. You're either, it's either because of a medical literacy, someone is, is frustrated with the medical system, tough diagnosis, whatever. You, are, you have persistence in your messaging. You're using visuals. You may use a clinical vignette, an anecdote. You have eye contact. You're essentially pitching a message. You're building trust, even initial impression. You know your audience. You know the demographic. We practice that all the time. And I will tell you, I, when I produced television for CNN, I told my boss at the time, Nancy Duffy, and I said, hey, I've never produced television before. And she says, but you have practiced these skills a lot. In medicine, if you look at writing a television show and you have four acts from you know, some type of introduction, something funny happens to the conclusion, four acts of medicine, chief complaint, HBI, Workup diagnosis. Same thing. Same thing. It's, it's, it's amazing to think about that. And, and then the shift that can come with it. So for those who are interested in participating in whatever form of media interaction with the public, 
but also feel like I am not equipped, you we we can actually help them make that 180 degree pivot to say you actually are equipped. Now let's add that next piece, which is to go practice, which is to actually say it's it's different doing it on camera. It's different doing it over the phone with a reporter on the record. It's different creating a TikTok, but the skill set and the mindset it's there. Now you have to go and practice. You have to go and practice just like anything. And there are people out there who have huge egos and they say, I don't need to practice. And I always tell them the greatest comedians, the greatest television hosts, whether it's Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon, they all practice. Yeah. The thing that I think has helped me get used to practicing, because again, I'm, I fall into that category of being a perfectionist and I get frustrated if I'm not good at it right away, is I set the goal of if I'm giving a talk, to not have notes. If I have slides, my slides are very spare because I want the audience engaging with me and I want to engage with them. I don't want them looking at the screen trying to take notes or whatever. But I can use those as a little bit of a touch point. But in creating a talk where I don't have notes in front of me, it allows me to, it forces me to practice a lot so that I get not only the content down, but then I can think about the rhythm, the timing, where are the high points? Where are the impact points? Where is the climax? To think that sort of thing through carefully as I'm preparing and just to get a whole lot of reps because memorizing it takes some time. Do you counsel people to use notes, to memorize, to do a bit of both? I'm in between. So I am not a fan I of memorization at all because I think it takes away okay. from a lot of what we've talked about. I am yes. more of a fan. I am more of a fan. You have your bullet points and you know those really well. That is how some of the best impromptu speakers have been trained, how I was trained. It is, if you're going to talk about sickle cell anemia, you have your five major bullet points. You know the details. You are the expert in that room at that moment. And as long as you remember those bullet points and you know how to go from point A to whatever you're ending with, you're gold. You have helped me refine my message. When I say I memorize things, I memorize those bullet points. And if I have the slide up, that may be my little booster. But then I like to lean on skills that I've learned around improvisational comedy and just being agile and kinetic to allow myself to just be creative and have fun. Because if I'm being creative and having fun, the audience is going to enjoy that a lot more, whether I'm talking about sickle cell anemia, which that's outside of my scope of expertise. But for anyone who does speak on that critically important topic, and as a hospitalist, we, we, you know, we work with people who have sickle cell disease and need, need us to be at our best. To anything else, I think the way you just framed it is a lot better than mine. So thank you for helping me to reframe it. I don't remember. You bring it out of me. You bring it out of me. That's right. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you really quickly. I gave I gave a talk like five years ago, and it was at UC Irvine, and it was about medical education. And I had these powerpoints laid out. And yeah. one of my friends, friends she is she a big is marketing. Big. Looks at my powerpoint and said, "Let me actually show you what a real powerpoint looks like outside of medicine." And it's really, really pretty graphics and minimal words. And that almost is the equivalent of a bullet point. And she's like, you do this, you will not only be forced to actually learn your content and speak to the audience, but the audience will actually pay attention to you. And I have never since that day, five years ago, all my PowerPoints have now followed a similar scheme. So if you're doing a slide, and now we're in the space of talking about, you know, giving PowerPoint talks, not so much, right, still a huge part of public speaking, and probably the most common part of public speaking. What is an ideal slide presentation look like for you? Again, we're talking about basic fundamental skills. Everyone in the healthcare profession at some point is going to have to create some kind of a talk. It might be a five-minuter. It might be an hour. 
somewhere. And there is that kind of baked in expectation that there will be some sort of accompaniment with a PowerPoint, something or other. Especially now in our digital world, PowerPoints are actually becoming more common with keynote speeches, even at conferences, you know, hopefully one day this all changes. But I think the first thing people think about, should think about is what kind of PowerPoint appeals to you. Everyone makes fun of loaded PowerPoints with no graphics, yet we, a lot of us continue to do it. And I was actually challenged to stop using templates and say, make each one of your PowerPoints its own visual story. Use pretty graphics. Don't be afraid to push the limit. And all my PowerPoints now have vibrant colors and massive visual graphics that represent my talking point. And I usually have one to two pictures of Bruce Lee and a quote on every single PowerPoint ever because it's kind of my jam. Make a PowerPoint yours. Make it something that you would actually want to watch yourself. Not something that feels like work to go through or not something that you wouldn't be interested in if it wasn't your specialty. I think you start there and you say, I'm going to make this entertaining and then I'm going to make it informational, not the other way around. I think this will segue into the next time you and I come together. But before we have one other topic that we have to get to, but before we get to it, are these coachable skills? All of the stuff that we've just discussed, right? We've laid out a lot. This was a packed 30 minutes. Are these coachable skills or did you come out fully formed, ready, you know, camera ready, or are these skills that can be coached, taught, learned, mentored, improved upon? Anything in life can be improved upon. You know, the late, great Kobe Bryant still practices free throw. Everyone can can practice one of their skills. And there are camera training classes you can take out there. And one thing that I actually wish every residency program during orientation would do is have an improv class. Improvisational comedy follows an algorithm. Yes, yes, and, right? I took improv courses with Upright Citizens Brigade in Manhattan, and it completely improved not only my bedside manner, but my television game. You're following rules. And then from there, you expand. The importance of improvisational comedy training cannot be understated. My wife treated me to one of these years ago. It's a foundational part of Explore the Space. It's, It's so much fun. It makes everything that much more exciting. It's a fun thing to work on with my kid. It's critically important. We actually did an episode in the archive on an improvisational comedy course that's being done out in, in New York, and Alan Alda actually helps run it. Uh, oh, and awesome. It's just for healthcare awesome. professionals. It's the coolest thing ever. It's good to know that these things are coachable, and uh, you know, people who listen to this are going to say, well, this was a blizzard of information. These are people who are already doing this at a high level. I, I may not get there. I think that's the key thing is, you can absolutely find your way to doing it and doing it in a way that feels right and authentic and meaningful and, and effective. And, and write down something that you feel you need to work on, something that you feel vulnerable about. Write that down, identify it, and then say, where can I find coaching related to this? At the beginning of the pandemic, I went and talked to people in PR and crisis communication. I'm like, how do you defend a company who's going through a crisis? And they have a skill set. And a lot of us inevitably, Go are, are doing crisis communication in the hospital. That's you're translating something very scary, and you're distilling it down for for a family, a patient, caretakers to do something with it. Though that is a literally trainable skill set. You've identified mine. My PowerPoint game is weak. You know, I give talks, and I know that I'm a good storyteller. I'm a good public speaker. There is an opportunity for my slides to get better. The barrier is the technical aspect and the time aspect. I convince myself that I, A, don't know how to do it, B, I'm not creative enough, and C, I don't have enough time to do it. Those are the, the barriers that my brain has created over the course of many, many years, many, many years. 
to say, oh, I'll just keep my slides really spare. And, you know, there's an opportunity there for me. So I appreciate you giving me that uh, that insight of where I can do a better job, too. And even the great Mark Shapiro can demonstrate humility and wanting to practice and train. See that, everyone? That's right. That's right. So <laughs> final topic. This is important. And this is where you and I, I think, realized we were in many ways kindred spirits. We both are hospitalists. We both eat a lot of food inside of hospitals. We eat a lot of food in hospitals at weird hours. The chicken strip. The, the, for me, a foundational part of in-hospital nutrition is being able to eat chicken tenders at almost any hour of the day. Your thoughts? And I don't know why that is. And I don't know why I agree. <laughs> totally. We know. We know. More than pizza. Not the best for more you. than spaghetti. Yeah. More than any of those. It's chicken strips. My hospital currently doesn't have them, which is fine. I get why. Uh, I miss them. I miss There's, them. I think they're, they're a nod to a comfort food. They're also, they're, they're not that dirty. They're easy to eat on the go. You can get them in that little yep. like train. You can run to your call room. Pack no it. issues about it. Yep. And I'm a sauce yep. person. I'm also a fan of our plant-based chicken tenders as well. Well, they're no longer chicken, but if, if it's a, if it's a tender, whatever it's made out of, I'm in. There's deep fried cauliflower bites that are really good. They're really, really good. I Have learned some. about them on that show, Hot Ones, where, you know, Sean Evans hosts that show where they taste hot sauces and he does really cool interviews with really interesting people. And some of the people who come on that show don't want to eat chicken wings and they'll provide them with whatever option they want. And I can't remember who it was, but it was cauliflower. And I thought, well, let's try deep fried cauliflower. I mean, it's it's deep fried. It's good. They're bomb. It, and that's that's why it's, it's about more than the chicken tender, what the chicken tender represents. <laughs> right. And also, you and I are clearly kindred spirits because Hot Ones is an amazing example of a relatable funny show that is using a different mechanism to get a message across. They're using hot sauce, relatable actors and, and comedy. But, like, really see, what that mean, people are eating spicy stuff and all of a sudden the filter lifts and they're no longer nervous and they're just trying to get totally. through it. distracted because everything hurts. Speaking of giving people fantastic content, this was awesome. I'm glad that you came on. I'm glad that we waited three months. I do get, I do feel like though there is a lot of ground left unturned so I want to put an invitation out to the audience. There's a lot you and I could still discuss, and I think we should do a part two. But I think we can open it up to the audience on our social media platforms to let us know what you would like to hear us talk about. I don't want to assume. I think we covered some really important fundamental stuff. There's a lot of different directions we could go. So for those of you listening, let us know on Twitter or Instagram or email or however you like to reach out what you would like to hear Alok and I talk about next. Alok, this was awesome, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. You know, I think demystifying it, how you started out the interview, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, because then the more of us, the better, right? I mean, in our numbers, there's a lot of us. We're smart. We're highly motivated. A large cadre of healthcare professionals comfortable out there in the public space interacting with the public is, is a really effective driver of change. So thank you for leading the way and thank you for sharing so much with us, man. I would not call myself a leader, but I appreciate it. And, you know, to everyone out there who says, I don't know if I should get started. Remember, if we're not talking about health, somebody else less qualified is going to. That's right. That's right. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. My thanks once again to Alok for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space Podcast. This was absolutely fantastic. I think it's going to really resonate. And please do let us know on social media what you would like us to talk about next. There's a lot of things we can cover in this space of public speaking. And we would love to hear from you of what are the high yield things that are in your mind. Hit us on social media. His Social media tags are in the show notes. I am at ETS show on Twitter at explore the space show on Instagram. Thank you also to med mastery for sponsoring this episode of explore the space podcast. 
MedMastery is a clinical skills academy where you can learn or refresh a wide variety of essential topics like EKG interpretation, ultrasound, and diabetes management. These are excellent learning and review tools wherever you are in your medical career. You can get access to their huge course library with an affordable subscription. Go to www.medmastery.com forward slash explore the space. Claim a 15% discount for Explore the Space listeners. Thank you also to the Women in Medicine Summit for sponsoring this episode of Explore the Space podcast. The Women in Medicine Summit is an extraordinary CME conference. It is coming up on September 16th and 17th in Chicago. Go to www.womeninmedicinesummit.org to see the extraordinary speaker list, the extraordinary courses that are going to be available. I'm going to be there. You can register there for either in-person or virtual attendance, and all registrants get access to the course content for a full year. Also, please do go to www.explorethespaceshow.com to check out the whole archive of the podcast. Definitely check out the merchandise store as well, www.explorethespaceshow.com forward slash merch. You know where I am on social media. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. We will be back soon with more great content. Until then, take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.